one of the best benefits of Medicaid expansion is the knowing that there's something there to help protect you and your family in the event that things don't go the way we want healthcare wise. On this episode of Forward Focus, we'll be speaking with the Executive Director of the Alliance for a Healthy Kansas, April Holman, as well as David Sabata about their perspectives on why Medicaid expansion is so critically important in Kansas. My name is McLean Bryant-Macklin. I'm the Director of Policy and Strategic Initiatives at Health Forward Foundation. We have launched this series to delve into Health Forward's policy agenda and to really highlight and raise up our policy priorities. We started in our first episode with highlighting Medicaid expansion in Missouri, and we'll be spending time today doing the same for Medicaid expansion in Kansas. Health Forward operates on both sides of the state line in both Kansas and in Missouri in terms of both our grant making and our advocacy work. And in both states, our number one priority for many years has been expanding Medicaid so that more people can afford and have access to quality care. Kansas is one of a few remaining states that have not yet expanded Medicaid. Unlike in Missouri, Kansas voters do not have the ability to place a question on the ballot via ballot initiative. Medicaid expansion can only be passed by the Kansas legislature, which makes it challenging when the legislature is not supportive of expansion, even if Kansas voters largely are. Health Forward has banded with other Kansas Health Foundations on an organized effort to expand Medicaid in Kansas. This work is coordinated by the Alliance for a Healthy Kansas. My name is April Holman, and I'm the Executive Director of the Alliance for a Healthy Kansas. We are an initiative that is um, aimed at increasing access to affordable health care through Medicaid expansion. We have probably 120 um, different organizations that have come together from a wide range of perspectives in Kansas to advocate for Medicaid expansion. And we also have a network of around um, 12,000 individuals who feel very passionate about this policy issue and the need for it in Kansas as well. And and what do you do at the Alliance? What does the work to expand Medicaid in, in Kansas entail? We do um, several different things. So we facilitate that coalition um, and um, definitely a lot of grass tops type of advocacy, working with those um, other organizations within the coalition. We do a lot of grassroots education and outreach um, and that um, leads to advocacy as part of the effort. We do legislative advocacy. Um, and education at the Kansas State House and um, with uh, Kansas policymakers across the state. Um, and then we also do a lot of communication that's meant to really educate the public about the opportunity that we have um, if we expand our Medicaid program um, eligibility here in Kansas. We've gotten close to expanding Medicaid in Kansas before. Can you give us a brief uh, historical overview of Medicaid expansion efforts in Kansas? Sure. So actually, um, some of our partner groups have been working on this since before the alliance was even created. The alliance came about in 2016. And in 2017, um, we were actually successful in getting a Medicaid expansion legislation passed in by both the House and the Senate. Unfortunately, the governor at that time um, was opposed to expansion and vetoed the bill. And in the effort to override the veto, we fell three votes short in the Kansas House. And unfortunately, that was the end of the effort in 2017. 
we've been working on it, um, you know, every year since. And in 2019, we were able to get a bill passed by the House. Um, and unfortunately, um, it kind of hit a brick wall in the Senate. And that's been a little bit of what we faced since 2017. Um, legislative leaders have um, largely been opposed to Medicaid expansion, even though the membership of the House and Senate um, had a major majority of legislators who were supportive. So, um, you know, with that leadership um, opposition, they've really been able to control a lot of the progress of any legislation. So they've been able to prevent meaningful hearings and action at the committee level, and then, um, you know, also kept legislation off the floor. Back in uh, 2019, when we were successful in getting a bill passed the House, it was really through um, a, a little bit of a floor maneuver because um, we weren't able to get it, uh, you know, regular hearings and, and what have you. So that's been the history. It's been a frustrating one. There have been a lot of people who have been working very hard on this issue. Um, our partners have been really tireless in their advocacy, but we have just found that we're having difficulty with the politics of, of expansion in Kansas more than the policy. And um, that that has led us to where we are today as one of the remaining only 12 states that haven't expanded. And um, since we don't have initiative and referendum, I think that we're going to be slipping to an even smaller number of states soon. We, we hear that there are at least three um, strong initiatives in um, non-expansion states to do um, to, to put expansion on the ballot in 2022. So those states are um, South Dakota, Mississippi, and Florida. So, you know, it's, it's kind of one of those things as we see the dynamics change around this issue, it, it leaves us more and more isolated in our, um, you know, in holding out from, from accepting this really um, important practical solution for many issues that are happening in Kansas. Thank you, April. Do you have a sense for how people in Kansas, and when I say people, I mean, you know, residents, voters, feel about expansion in 2021? Um, so uh, we, we do actually have a pretty good idea. There was a poll that was done by Fort Hayes State University um, called the Kansas Speaks Poll. That's done every year. And for the last um, few years, it's included questions about Medicaid expansion. So we know that as of, um, you know, the end of last year, when that report came out, over 62% of Kansans polled um, want to see Medicaid expansion come to Kansas. And they feel that it's um, it would be important in helping to bolster our um, rural hospitals as well. Those are, are great and positive uh, polling numbers. Clearly, there are differences of opinion on Medicaid expansion, and it sounds like mainly in the, the Kansas legislature, what have been the reasons that the legislature has not expanded Medicaid in the past, and, and how would you respond to their rationales? So a lot of the opposition that we hear comes really from a, um, a perspective that government should be small and that providing um, health insurance coverage is something that the that the government really should not be doing. And we, um, you know, 
a lot of times we'll hear that argument kind of combined with this idea that the federal government um, is in so much debt and we really need to rein in federal spending. Um, My response to that is sometimes, you know, a little bit of indignation even with 38 other states already drawing down this money. It's hard for me to see why we would draw the line here at Kansas um, when there's no reversing the the progress in other states. So, um, and I think as far as the the small gut um, perspective and the cost to the state, um, I I think that that's something that you know we really know that as we bring in those new federal dollars to the state. Um, this policy really all but pays for itself in new economic activity and the tax revenues that that generates. So um, I, I think it's really a win for not only for Kansas consumers, but for Kansas businesses and the economy overall, not to mention our health providers who are already providing care in many cases, um, but they're just not being compensated for that care. And so it leaves them struggling to, um, you know, struggling financially to to be able to sustain all of that care that's not being paid for. Where do things currently stand with Medicaid expansion in Kansas? Um, The governor did introduce a bill. That bill combined um, Medicaid expansion with a means to pay for that, which was the legalization of medical cannabis. We don't have a position on the legalization issue, but the actual bill, the governor's bill, may not be going anywhere this year. What I would say is that the concept of Medicaid expansion is still very much alive at the state house, and one of the reasons for that is because um, the the latest round of federal relief uh, in the form of the American Rescue Plan that was signed into law provides a financial incentive for states to that have not expanded yet to expand eligibility for Medicaid. So um, in Kansas, that we anticipate that that would bring in a significant amount of dollars over the course of a two-year period. So that financial incentive is a 5% bump in our base Medicaid rate. And in practical terms, that would mean about $464 million that would come to Kansas over the course of a two-year period. And, um, you know, as we are looking at some really tough uh, financial decisions facing the Kansas legislature on priorities that are important to Kansans across the state, like education and other program funding, I think that, you know, this potential to draw down an additional almost half million or half billion dollars um, really could be a game changer in that conversation. And we're hopeful that as we get, you know, farther into the budget process, um, that will become maybe more of a conversation that lawmakers are willing to have in spite of some of the politicalization of Medicaid expansion in the past. Given the history at uh, uh, attempts to expand Medicaid and sort of the evolution of the alliance and its efforts, are there any new methods or tactics or engagement uh, 
uh, practices that are being employed uh, now as we continue to try to fight for Medicaid expansion in Kansas. I think one of the things um, that we are doing is really going back into target communities across the state and deepening our relationships with other um, social service providers and um, economic development professionals and um, community leaders at the local level to get um, more uh, a, a deeper involvement from um, outside of Topeka itself. So that's one thing that we're doing. I think another thing that we're doing is a much more coordinated um, and collaborative approach with our partners to make sure that we are getting all of the you know, possible research that's needed about Medicaid expansion and how it would make a difference in Kansas all of the, um, you know, communications that um, we can do on a coordinated level to make sure that this is reaching Kansans across the state, as well as those policymakers, um, and uh, really just re-upping our efforts to do that grassroots mobilization. So I think that um, it's a combination of some new tactics, but also really um, going back and making sure that we have everybody on board and we're not overlooking anyone, particularly in key districts that need to be a part of this fight. What does Medicaid expansion mean for Kansans and how important is it that we expand Medicaid? So I think it's, um, it's vitally important. We have a huge group of our neighbors and community members who are just missing out on any type of assistance to um, access affordable health care. So, um, you know, right now it's estimated, the official estimate of the state is that 165,000 Kansans would benefit from Medicaid expansion. Um, some of those are people who, um, like children, who might already have access today to the Children's Health Insurance Program. But it's anticipated that if their parents um, are uh, given access to insurance through Medicaid expansion, they'll be more likely to enroll their children in insurance as well. And I think the thing that's important for us to remember is that for some people, um, having health insurance and really even having regular access to health care is not something that's in a, a part of their daily lives. And so if we are able, to cover more people who are falling um, into the gap right now, I think that it will benefit um, adults directly, but it's going to benefit a lot of others in our community indirectly. And so that's, um, that's something that is a huge part of it. For people who fall in the coverage gap, it, it can be a really frustrating and um, demoralizing experience for them because um, they're working, and in some cases, we see people working multiple jobs, but they just don't have access to health insurance through their employer. Or in some cases, they do. their employer does provide insurance, but they can't afford the employee contribution to pay for that insurance. And so they end up making too much money to qualify for our Medicaid program which is capped at a very low income rate in Kansas, but they don't make enough money 
to be able to qualify for um, tax subsidies through the Affordable Care Act marketplace to get, um, you know, uh, private insurance. So I, I think it, it can be a very, very lonely place for people to be. And um, if someone in the gap finds themselves um, in need of medical care, sometimes they don't really have a lot of options. So we do have a strong um, network of federally qualified health clinics in Kansas, but those are really geared towards primary care. So if somebody um, would have cancer or um, another serious, um, more long-term and um, life-threatening disease, then it can be very difficult for them to find the specialist care um, that they need. And definitely, you know, some of the very costly treatments for cancer um, and other diseases can be cost prohibitive. So we really find people um, who are in the gap struggling to get care and in, you know, unfortunately, in some cases, not being able to get the care that they need at all. Um, other people will be able to get access to the health care that they need, but then they end up with huge medical bills that they're not able to pay. And so this can be financially debilitating as well. Last question, and I think this is uh, the most important one. Uh, you know, we hope that we have a, a large number of listeners tuning in today and learning about efforts to expand Medicaid in Kansas. Uh, you know, our, our grantees, partner organizations uh, over in Kansas, and just want to ask you what what can our listeners, our, our partners, our grantees, those that are active in advocacy in Kansas, those that just live in Kansas, what can they do? to help to advocate for Medicaid expansion? We really want people to know that Medicaid expansion is not going away. 38 states have already passed this policy. Kansans desperately need for us to pass this policy as well. And we're not giving up in the effort. We really need everyone who cares about um, access to affordable health care, providers, the economy in Kansas, all of those things, we need them to really engage now more than ever to make sure that we can get a Medicaid expansion passed. So we need to all be letting our elected officials know that this is important to us. And in some cases, people already know that they have a legislator who supports expansion or potentially one that is opposed to it. But it really is important to continue to engage. Let them know that this is something that you care about deeply. Ask them to do more than just vote for it on the floor. Ask them to actively engage in trying to get it passed. Ask them to tell their legislative leadership that this is something they have to have for their constituents. And the more pressure we can build, I think the more successful we can be. Another thing that we would ask um, from the Alliance for Healthy Kansas perspective is particularly for the social service groups that might be grantees of the Health Forward Foundation. If you are in touch with people who might fall in the coverage gap, um, so again, people who don't meet the criteria to qualify for health subsidies through the marketplace, 
at a hundred. So those are people who are at a hundred percent of the federal poverty line. Um, we would love to be in touch with them if they would be willing to share their story, because I think the more we're able to point out that these are the, the people who are falling into the gaps, this is not through any fault of their own. Um, I, we see a lot of, you know, kind of blaming of people who find themselves in this situation. And it's really when we are able to tell the stories and explain what what exactly this means to be in the gap and who is in the gap that people start to come on board and support the policy. So we would love to have their help. And it's easy to reach us. Our um, email or our website is www.expandcancare.com. And they would be more than welcome to reach out to me. My email address is April, A-P-R-I-L, at expandcancare.com. Thank you so much, April, for really shedding a lot of light on uh, Medicaid expansion in Kansas and what we can do to help advocate for ourselves and our loved ones to ensure that everybody has access to affordable and quality care. Thank you again. Thank you so much for having me and for um, all of the support that the Health Forward Foundation provides um, for this issue, for expansion, and for the work of the Alliance for Healthy Kansas. Let's pull away from the policy lens for a minute and talk to someone who can offer more perspective and the lived experience for us. Hey, my name is uh, David Spada. I'm 37 years old. I grew up in um, Harrington, Kansas here, and I'm recording from our local Carnegie Public Library, which I've used since I was a kid. This is the only source for free Wi-Fi in our hometown. And right now I've got the basement to myself. I'm in the children's section and uh, they, the ladies upstairs, they, they know me by name and uh, I let them know. And they said they try to keep folks out of here. I've interviewed for jobs here um, in this same uh, format. And uh, I work primarily as an archeologist and uh, uh, often it's seasonal in nature. And I, so I experience these, you know, long-term periods of non-healthcare status. But I grew up just hunting arrowheads in farm fields around here with permission. You have to have permission. And uh, digging our local trash dumps, um, again with permission, and volunteering at the local uh, Tri-County Historical Society uh, as a teenager. And, you know, all that kind of organically took me in the direction of archaeology. You have such a unique story in terms of employer-sponsored medical coverage and lack of access to care. Can you talk to us more about your story? Yeah, sure. Um, I'm a pretty healthy young guy. I, I try to stay pretty active. I ride my bike as much as I can. It's my favorite avocational activity. And I've been working, thankfully, in, in archaeology, uh, the field of my passion, um, since uh, 2005 or so professionally. And um, so it's, it's my favorite thing to do. But uh, my work often, um, you got to see the ground to be able to do what I do. So in the winter, there's not a lot of work. And uh, I've uh, thankfully been able to come home here to spend time with my family uh, over the winter. Um, for most of that time, my parents are getting a bit older. Um, but in that period of, of, of not having work in the winter, I usually uh, don't have health insurance. So I usually have like Blue Cross, Blue Shield, um, GIHA, the Government Employee Health Assistance Program, something like that when I'm working. Um, seasonally uh, out west in, in Colorado or Utah or wherever I have, a I have a season scheduled in Wyoming here next. And, but um, like I said, usually I don't have um, insurance in the winter and this has never really been a problem for me except that uh, last winter 
I, I came down with a bunch of the symptoms that are the same as uh, a lot of COVID symptoms folks have experienced. And um, I just, uh, I wasn't too worried about it at first because I'm pretty, pretty healthy, pretty strong. I was sick for a couple of weeks. I had a lot of the symptoms and I felt better for about 10 days. And then I felt bad again for about a week. And then I felt better for about a week. And then the last round of it I had like for three days was the worst. And it was the first time I experienced shortness of breath. And I was waking up like gasping for air, trying to take naps because I was exhausted from nothing. And um, it freaked me out. And that was the first time I tried to go after, um, you know, seek some kind of health uh, advice or just try to see if I could get tested. And this is when, you know, there were rumors of COVID tests costing a couple thousand bucks. Some people, um, you know, had had to do and. I remember trying to get tested in, in my hometown. They ordered the wrong test. They ordered a bunch of random flu tests, not the COVID tests. And uh, I couldn't get tested. I couldn't see a doctor. Um, it, it freaked me out. And then this last winter, I I assumed I wouldn't have been covered also. Like I, I usually am not covered, but um, I ended up uh, uh, going and getting COVID tests because I had some of the symptoms. I came down with this uh, this winter and um, I, the test came back negative and I was told if I had no insurance, it would be free. And I didn't think I have insurance because I never have insurance in the winter. And I just got a bill in the mail from my local hospital saying that Blue Cross Blue Shield covered like 150 bucks, but I have to cough up like 50 bucks. And I'm like, I didn't even know I had healthcare coverage. So maybe there was like, you know, a temporary seasonal expansion of Blue Cross Blue Shield this winter. I, news to me. So, David, as you explained, this pandemic has been a scary and new situation for everyone, but especially those who either don't have insurance coverage or have limited coverage. What do you do during the part of the year when you're uninsured? when you need medical care, do you either wait or forgo that needed treatment? Um, so in terms of coverage, you know, I, th- I think it, it takes a little while for it to kick in usually most seasons. Yeah. So, you know, it's, I just, I try to get everything healthcare wise that I need done from the time my healthcare kicks in a couple months, usually in my field season, two, three months in my field season and before the end of it. Um, and that usually doesn't cover dental or vision. And those two things are probably the most on my mind lately. So I think I have to add like extra, um, I have to pay extra for those um, better uh, policies, um, which I'll probably do this year because I'll, I anticipate, you know, needing some help in that respect. But um, I'm trying to think uh, in, in other ways, though, I have I have needed dental treatment in the past. And yeah, I definitely have foregone that treatment for longer than I wish I would have. Uh, or could have gone, you know, um, had I access to dental. And that one really blows my mind because I know a lot of disease and sickness enters the body, you know, through the, the mouth, the gums, like heart disease stuff. And when I'm not a medical person, you know, but I've, I've read some things like that. So it seems to me like that's one of the easiest preventative health measures we can do is help people take care of their teeth when they have bad problems. And um, I experienced some really bad dental care a couple of years ago where a dentist took out the wrong tooth and left a really bad tooth and sent me back quite a few hundred dollars. And I wasn't able to get the care I needed until I was able to access a, uh, um, a, an income-based uh, assistance program through the state of Utah, where I was able to get this really bad cavity fixed for like $40. So I was getting quoted like four or 500 bucks from folks. So we're like last year, I, I got my, my job last year. And as soon as I got my first paycheck, the first thing I did was went in and got a thousand dollars worth of dental work done. And, uh, I kind of, I talked up the dentist and told him about how I was a broke recovering grad student, you know, doing archaeology. And he said he really loved archaeology. I was like, anyway, you could help me out with this. And he knocked off 50%. So I got a thousand bucks worth of work done for 500 bucks. But 
you know, I, I was just lucky that way because people like archaeology, you know, it's, that's not a compassion, unfortunately, does not substitute for, a, a, you know, a viable health you know, system nationwide, but it does help. You know. What's the biggest way and perhaps some of the small ways in which lack of access to care has impacted your life? I, I guess just probably just the anxiety of like not knowing whether you're okay or not, you know, like, I don't know, like I'd like to be checked out more often than I'm able to just, just routine stuff. You know, I mean that the COVID thing last year, that freaked me out, that shortness of breath thing when I was trying to sleep, I thought, my God, my lungs are filling up with fluid. I'm not going to be able to breathe at all here after a while. I'm going to end up in the emergency room and lose like tens of thousands of dollars. You know, all the other times I can remember just, just waiting, wondering if I was okay or not. And then, I don't know, waiting, waiting to, you know, could get labs, you know, after I got my insurance or even when I, I go to work for the feds and, and I'm sitting there, I think it's, it's like from the, the time you apply, it's something like, I think you have to wait 60 days until you can apply for coverage. And then it's like, you're waiting for that to go into effect for a little while too. So it's, it's like, I have to wait like, you know, three months or something into my season for my health insurance to kick you know, to take effect anyway during a six month season, half the time. And then I'm in a rush to try to do what I need done toward the end. I've also, I've had a vision problem uh, last, I don't know, kind of sporadically that's, that's becoming more uh, apparent to me and kind of disruptive of my ability to see the way I used to. And that's been worrisome to me. And I've been trying to figure out, you know, I'd love to see an ophthalmologist. I can't do that. I have to be able to see to do my work. I have to be able to see to drive. So this problem that I'm experiencing is, is you know, it's, it's outside my normal experience. I'm a healthy guy. I've always had good eyesight, you know, and, and now I'm kind of like, what's the matter with me? I don't know. You know, not knowing is maybe that just anxiety, background anxiety is, is one of the worst aspects just from a mental health perspective. Um, that could be cleared up if I had access to appointments and stuff, but. Well, I was going to say, you know, those are just, you know, common issues that people that don't have um, insurance face. Uh, you talked about you know, the impacts of lack of insurance, not just on your quality of life, uh, but also on your ability to perform your, your job functions and, and the need to see. Uh, you know, there's also access to uh, preventative care and information about how you can be just more health conscious yourself that you would be you'd have great access to uh, with health insurance coverage as well. So thank yeah. you for pointing all of that out. Um, if the Kansas legislature decides to expand Medicaid and ensure that those that currently fall in the coverage gap, like yourself, receive health insurance, uh, what would that mean to you? It means a great deal. I think, uh, you know, in a healthy society, the primary responsibility of government is to provide for the common good and providing for basic health care, I think, is one of the most essential ways to do that. So it'd be a great personal relief, but also be, you know, very uh thankful and, and happy for all my fellow Kansas citizens to have, to be able to enjoy that, that level of, uh, uh, quality, um, healthcare access. I think that makes a tremendous difference in folks' lives. And I know a lot of people around here who would benefit, uh, from it, um, that aren't necessarily in as good a health as I am. So, you know, and I think that that's one of the best systemic investments, you know, a society can make in itself, right? Like the better health people are in, the better they can work, like the more able they'll be to work, the happier they'll be while working, the less afraid they'll be of like injury while working, you know, like ruining their ability to do so. So it, it just, I can't imagine that the investment potential doesn't, you know, far exceed the investment itself in terms of that kind of thing. And I'm just surprised it's taking this long for us to get there, but I'm happy for the progressive changes that Kansas has uh, 
been moving in the direction of, and I, I think that's just a, a fantastic thing. And I'm so thankful that you, you folks are working to help people in that respect. So it's uh, it's been a long road, but hopefully it will lead to Medicaid expansion and a coverage for folks like yourself. Uh, what do you want people listening to this interview to know and take away? Um, from from having listened to you, and is there any advice or or next steps or takeaways or just information that you want to leave people with? No, I, I think um, our activities of daily living, you know, they're cumulative and they're positive benefit. And I've been a lifelong bicycle enthusiast and a lifelong outdoors, you know, enthusiast. And I, I try to stay as active as I can. I try to eat well. I try to you know, drink good water. We, we've received notices for decades not to drink our municipal water if you're pregnant or have cancer. Well, it's not good for those folks. It's probably not that great for the rest of us. So it's like, I, I have to drink plastic bottled water all the time or my parents or get upset at me because they're like, you're probably killing yourself. You know, that's not very great, right? You know, like how hard is it to clean water, right? You know, but access to clean water is so fundamental to good health. Access to clean air, access to basic health care is so, so important. But it's also just so important that in our day-to-day tasks of living that we do as well as we can to take care of ourselves and, and of one another, you know? So I, I think all those things combined are, are what, you know, help give us the best chance we have to enjoy a life of good health and so i think even if if you don't have as much money as 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 you wish you had or maybe need to 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 afford better health care you know i just encourage all my fellow kansans to stay active stay healthy take good care of yourselves you know make you know the best choices you can make given your options every day and uh and and hopefully uh, we can win this battle to expand basic health care coverage to all Thank you, David, so much for taking time to speak with us today and for, for sharing your story. And our hope is that your story resonates with the folks that are listening in and that they take it upon themselves to reach out to Kansas legislators and advocate not only on your behalf, but on the behalf of others in the state of Kansas that lack coverage. Thank you again.